radioinfluence.com. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to the Friday edition of the Dark Delight Podcast with... Thank God it's Frankly and... Beans! We are joined today by someone who has become a very dear friend in a very short amount of time, Miss Penny Whitbrote, who um, is going to share a story with us today. And I was prepping this this morning by saying it's probably going to make your weekend beautiful. Um, it's true. So I wanted everybody to to listen to this and and really just kind of let it drop over you because it's a crazy story and how I met Penny is also crazy too. And Frank, you were there when I met Penny. You might not realize it, but you were. Where? Doing the, the podcast with me. Right there. Oh, right. Oh, you mean in the, in the chat room? Yeah. Oh, oh, I thought like we were in a physical location. I'm like, well, no, there's only a couple of instances that could have happened. <laughs> Very right. few. But yeah, so I w- we were talking and I was telling the story of that um, near-death experience that I saw on TikTok and Penny hopped in the chat and said, oh my gosh, Tracy, I didn't know you were interested in that. Here is my story and sent me a link to her story. And um, Nurse Penny, would you begin by explaining that little incident? And then I'm just giving the floor to you to to go. I probably won't even interrupt you. It's so gripping. Um, it's so It's so weird. What had happened was I never can remember what day you guys are on. And I got up and I checked and and I think I'd maybe only seen your show five times, maybe six. And and um, I got on and I was looking and I thought, oh, crap, they already started. And so I rewound it so I could watch you guys from the beginning. And then I remembered when you do that, when you guys stop, it stops for me. And then I have to start all over anyway. And so I thought, well, shoot, I'll just go to where they are live and start from there. And I accidentally hit play. And when it played, you were talking about this near-death experience. And I'm like, what? That's so crazy that it stopped right at that spot. So I listened to what you said, and then I put in the comment, and I was watching to see if you got it. And then I remembered you guys were past that. And I'm like, I don't know if that, how that works. Like, does it comment at the moment I said it, or does it comment where she is? And so I sped ahead to where you guys were to see if you got it, and you, you said, I'll check it out or something like that. So an hour later, my husband messages me, and he says, hey, I got a Facebook message from this lady. Do you know who she is? And I'm like, no, I have no idea who she is. And so he's like, well, she sent me this pic, this screenshot. And so it's a screenshot of your Twitter. And it says, Penny Whit wrote, I must speak with you. And it was the craziest thing because he didn't know the lady who sent it. And she'd had, she searched for him and found him on Facebook. And then, and, unless I've got that wrong, I'm pretty sure that's how it went. Um, so anyway, I'm like, oh, yeah, I sent her a thing this morning. And so I emailed you and... That the rest history. is history, like yeah. serious history, though. In, in what two weeks? Oh my gosh! It See, feels that's, like that, way that's something that can only be done modern day. Um, you, just, oh. you just you just shout that out into the internet from a big enough account, and you'll have a chance of of ringing somebody's bell, especially if you have a name. You know, it's like the uh, g- going back in time and, and and locking eyes with that person on the train yeah. and never seeing them again. <laughs> you know. Oh, true. You, how do you what do you do i just go back to the train every day at the same time hopefully they show up again <laughs> that's romantic but a huge waste of time <laughs> you know what especially if it turns out not to be worth it like if they're nuts oh yeah that'd be my luck right i'm like wow you're a jerk i had no idea here i've spent all this time waiting for you 
But anyway, yeah, so I shared my, I can't remember which video you watched, if it was the Anthony Cheen or the, I think I sent you the Shaman Oaks one, um, pink t-shirt. I'm not sure which, who, the name of the person that did the video. Well, you've, but, you've watched a bunch of them, so. Yeah, I've watched them all now. I'm yeah, obsessed with bun- you. There's a bunch on YouTube because I go on different people's channels and stuff. But yeah, so um, several years ago, I was working as a nurse and my dates, my memory of dates is really bad just because of the medical issues. And um, I got beat up by a patient at work and um, ruptured two discs in my spine, tore my rotator cuff and broke my wrist. And so that happened in August. In November, um, I finally got the surgery for my spine. And it was much worse than they thought it would be. And it caused just long-term issues where I can't lift. And, you know, there's all kinds of heavy nursing work I can't do. So I was off recovering. And in August, I was still in that super hard neck brace. And I had made smoothies for myself and my daughter. And I'm drinking this smoothie. And all of a sudden, I just start feeling really weird. I couldn't put my finger on it. And I'm like, wow, something's something is really wrong. Well, I have a history of allergies and... Um, to shellfish and I have EpiPens, but I've never had to use them. And I just started feeling worse and worse. And then I noticed I was drooling and I'm like, okay, I'm having trouble swallowing. Something's really, really wrong. And I didn't want to use those EpiPens, you know, cause you kind of, once you do that, you've admitted to yourself it's serious, you know? And, but it, it just kept getting worse. I was having trouble breathing. And so I took the EpiPen, my son drove me to the hospital and when I got there, those birds are so loud, I'm sorry. That's okay. Uh, um, when I got there, there was this nurse that I knew. This was a small town hospital, and I had gone to work there to help them um, expand their ICU because I had come from a bigger hospital owned by the same network. And when I saw her in the ER, I'm like, oh, you know, <laughs> couldn't it be somebody like really sharp? And um, I mean, she's nice enough, but you don't want her in emergency. <laughs> so I go up to the counter and I'm looking up and you can hear me wheezing and um, and I set my EpiPens on the counter because I was having trouble speaking. And she's like, okay, well, what do you need? And I mean, I work there or I'm like, could you like at least be nice to me? Or I used to work there. And I said, anaphylaxis. And she said, did you take the EpiPen? And I nodded and she's like, then why are you here? And I'm like, well, yeah, you're gonna die today. Um, so she said, well, we can take you back, but we can't put you in a room because we don't have a bed in a room. And I, and I said, I said, I don't, I don't need a bed, you know? And she's like, oh no, no. I mean, we have, we can't put you in a room without a bed. And so she puts me down this long hall where the doctor's sleeping quarters are. And there's nobody down there. It's the end of a dead end hallway. And so I'm sitting there and I, it, it starts again. And like maybe 20 minutes after the shot. And I'm thinking, oh gosh, I, I don't want to do the second shot. And But nobody was coming. I couldn't call for help. I couldn't get out of the chair because I was so winded, I couldn't move. And so I went ahead and gave myself the second shot and that held me for probably you know, another 15, 20 minutes. And then it just got worse and worse. It's called refractory anaphylaxis. And um, so this lady that I think it was one of the PAs comes around the corner because she can hear this loud whistling breathing and she says, oh, my gosh. And she runs down, she grabs the wheelchair, and she pushes me into this room. And, they, of course, now my blood pressure's bottoming out, and they can't get an IV in. And, and I'm in really, I'm going down fast. And she says, we have to take you across to the trauma bay. And I'm like, oh, man, I've worked so many traumas in that bay. I don't want to go in there. And 
but they wheeled me across the hall and I mean, everybody was just hurrying and rushing around and, and I'm sitting in the bed straight up, looking straight up. I mean, just doing everything I can to keep breathing. And they gave me some steroids, gave me a bunch of Benadryl, like I think 50 milligrams is a normal dose of Benadryl. That's right. And I'd had 250 by the time I left that hospital. And they finally get this little tenuous IV in. It's half sticking out. And I'm thinking, oh, gosh, don't move because if that thing goes, you're screwed. And my husband gets there and he completely freaks out. He said, oh, my gosh, you've got to get an airway on her. She's going to quit breathing. And the doctor says, no, 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 we've, we've got plenty of time. And he says it was about five minutes. And I just I just quit breathing and collapsed. And so I'm, I'm not breathing. I pop out of my body and I can see me laying there, but I don't know it's me for some reason. And I see the people rush in and um, I see him, you know, put the bed flat to get me intubated. And I see that the guy that's, that's putting the, I'm going to, the respiratory therapist is got a bald spot on the crown of his head, you know, which of course you couldn't see from the bed. And, and so they, I'm looking and I can hear the code call going off and I'm thinking, man, I hope that lady does okay. She looks like she's in rough shape. <laughs> it's you. And then, yeah, <laughs> you go girl. And so I, um, I, then I'm just out and they put me on a helicopter. They put a, they put an IV in my shin bone and all my years as a nurse, I've never seen that. And they, they use like a Dremel, they screw it into your shin. That was like the most the thing I most complained about when I woke up. Um, but anyway, they fly me out during one of the worst electrical storms in Kentucky history to Lexington. And then I'm there on the vent um, in an induced coma for, I think, four or five days. Well, while all that's going on, um, I, I like wake back up in my spirit, not in my body. And I'm in my sister's car and she's driving and it's pouring rain. It's pitch black out. And I could tell something was wrong because I couldn't feel, I didn't have my normal mass and I couldn't feel the seat against me. And so I, I leaned forward. I didn't want to scare her. And I, I leaned forward and she had crumpled clothes that didn't match. And I thought, gosh, did she get dressed out of the laundry basket? Something must have happened. Maybe the kids, something with the kids or her husband. And, um, and so she, and she pulls over at this gas station. There's a canopy and she pulls under it and she gets her, phone out of her purse and she types a message um, to my daughter hang on kiddo I'm coming and so I saw it it was the first thing I said to her when I woke up I saw what you wrote on Facebook well in messenger actually and um, so then I just pop out I'm out of the car and I kind of re-emerge wake up in this really dark void and it's pitch black I have no idea how big it is um, but I know I can't move and that's, I'm kind of claustrophobic. So that really freaked me out and I'm having to work to breathe. And I remember thinking, I don't think I have to breathe. I think, yeah, I think I don't have to breathe. So I kind of put that aside and wasn't worried about that, but I couldn't figure out why I couldn't move. And I knew I was upright. I wasn't standing on anything or laying on anything, but there was this pressure kind of holding me there. And so I try, and it's funny because people say, oh, you know, near death experiences are from, you know, oxygen deprivation to the brain. Well, I was on a ventilator, so there was no oxygen deprivation. Or they'll say it's the drugs they give you. Well, hallucinations that are drug-induced aren't lucid. They're they're very weird and fragmented, and they don't make sense. They're not chronological. Um, I mean, I've just taken care of most. Almost all my work was in critical care, so I'm really familiar with that. And 
So I'm in this dark place. I can't figure out how to move. And I'm there for what feels like 10 years earth time. And I'm thinking, why am I here? What is going on? And I'd grown up Catholic and, um, you know, and I believed in God. I wasn't devout or anything like that. And I just had always kind of grown up with this idea that God was mad at me. And I, I might have some unspoken thing that I hadn't, you know, prayed for forgiveness for. And that's not all Catholic churches. It was just my experience. And um, and I had since just started going to a Methodist church, which is kind of Catholic light, I guess. But anyway, um, I, I believed in God kind of as I, I was hoping it was true because I thought it would really be sucked to die and have it not be true. Mm-hmm. And. So anyway, I can't figure out how to move. I'm in this place. I start wondering if maybe I made up my whole life just for something to think about. Oh, like you were stuck there? Yeah. And I thought maybe that never happened. Maybe I just imagined all that because, you know, maybe I've been here so long and and it sounded like a good thing, you know, just make up your own life. And and so this goes on and on. Finally, I, I wake up in the spirit and... I lean forward a little bit and I realize I can move and I'm like, Oh, hot damn, I can move, you know? And so the further forward I leaned, like, like, not like this, like this, the faster I would move forward. Like you were and Paul Blart on a, on a, <laughs> that's a great description. <laughs> Sorry. Paul Blart near death experience. <laughs> there's the, there's your sequel. Good job. Hmm. Um, and I see something off to the left, like this really, really dim light. And I think, okay, I'm going to go that way. Now, it's not enough to illuminate the place. And I'm praying there aren't trees. I didn't know where I was. And I'm thinking, man, I'm flying. If I hit something, I'm like, what? Well, you know, what will happen? (laughs) Might be worth the experiment. Kind of a Groundhog Day sort of thing. And so I go toward the light and I get there and there's this wall. And the light is coming from the other side of this wall. And the wall is like, do you remember those? um, They used to make these like blocks and and they're made of glass and they're kind of distorted and they would use them in hotel rooms and stuff. Yep. Yeah, Frank remembers. And so you could see that someone was showering, but you couldn't see their features. That's what it looked like. And so I t- get closer and closer because I'm trying to see what's on the other side. And when my nose touched, I could see me lying in the bed. And I was like, oh my gosh, there I am. I'm alive. This, this is incredible. Okay, I'm just very sick. And so I start looking at the drips that are hanging and I'm like, okay, yep, I'm in an induced coma. I, I'm, you know, this means I could get better. And so there's hope for me. And my daughter is standing in the room and she's to my right and behind me, but in front of the ventilator. And she's wearing this red like flannel shirt and I could see every fiber in it. And, and my daughter is super like quiet. She's not drama. She's like I said, her, her waters just run deep. You never know what's going on in her head. And and um, I somehow got in her thoughts and I could feel what she was feeling. And I knew, I knew her in a way I'd never known her. And she was scared. And so I put my hands forward just instinctively to grab her and pull her toward me. And my hands hit the wall and I just lost it. And I'm mad. And, you know, what are you doing to me? Why would you show me that and not let me, you know, go through there? And I'm, I'm assuming I'm somewhere on the other side. And I just was getting madder and madder and I got sucked back into the darkness and went back to sleep. So I wake up again, but now I know how to move. I go to the wall and the wall this time looks like a bubble, kind of like when the wind hits a bubble and it pulses. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking, oh, 
wow, that that's super thin. And so I take my finger and I push it through and it goes through to the other side. And, and I'm, you know, I'm, I, I don't know what to do. I'm thinking, okay, well, probably if I go through there, then I'll get sucked back into my body and everything will be okay. Well, I put my arm through, it goes through, doesn't chop off or anything. The other arm goes through and then I'm popped through onto the other side and I'm above me. And I can see that I'm restrained to the bed and, you know, just looking in very bad shape. And I don't pop back in. And I thought, well, crap, you know, there needs to be some kind of manual. How does anybody figure this out? And so I thought if I laid on top of me, if I could lower myself enough, that maybe I would get sucked back in. And so I try that. That doesn't work. And then I think, okay, well, it must be that you have to wake her up. Because if you wake her up, then she'll be conscious and boom, you'll be back in. And, And so I'm focusing on her and I'm like, come on, come on, you know, wake up damn it, wake up, you know, and it's just not working. And I thought, okay, well, maybe I'm starting too big. Let's see if I can get her to move her finger. And so I'm concentrating on my pinky finger, trying to get it to move and it won't move. And I get really upset and I get sucked back just on the other side of the wall, not all the way back. And I'm like, why are you doing this? Like take me or, or put me back. This is torture. And, and then it occurs to me, you know, God didn't build this place, I did. And I had just had, you know, when my husband and I divorced years and years and years ago, I had, he abandoned the kids, which was the worst of it. I could have handled the rest, but him walking away from his own kids was torture. And I had just kind of built this wall every day, every time I would get hurt or every time he didn't show up or something would go wrong in life, I'd just add another brick to the wall. And I had built my own prison was my own jailer and it had manifested on the spirit side. And so, you know, kind of what you build up here, the Bible talks about that, you know, build up, don't build up treasures on earth, build up treasures in heaven. And because that energy transcends you. And so as soon as I realized it, the top started to crack and I grew up in Michigan and dad would take us out to Lake Erie when spring, when the spring thaw would come and you could hear the ice crack, it was this haunting noise. And I always thought that was so cool, but that's what it sounded like. And so it starts cracking. It almost looked like an egg cracking and light starts pouring in. And this huge, huge spirit comes kind of just floating down toward me. She's very familiar. And she pulls me into her arm and she's got this energy that's like going around both of us, like a whirlwind. And the shards of the darkness that had cracked and fractured kept trying to get in at me. And so she would put out her fist and punch them and then they would shatter and they'd be gone. And so I'm in her arms and, and I'm crying like ugly snot crying. And she says, calm yourself, dear one, just from her mind to mine, because you don't need to talk. And, and it, was, it was like a drug, I couldn't stop it. And so I'm super relaxed and, and I'm trying to figure out you know, who she is. And I said, am I dead? And she said, oh no, dear one, there's no death. You're either alive on this on the earth or you're super alive on the spirit side i thought okay and she says you know this and i'm like no and she said yes you know this you learned this in primary school and i'm thinking i don't know what you're talking about but i don't know this this has all been a real big shock to me (laughs) and she says no energy's not created or destroyed it just changes form that's true on earth and it's true here it's god's law borrowed by man and I thought, oh my gosh, you're so smart, you know, <laughs> how'd you know that? 
And so I'm now looking at her and I, her eyes are very familiar, like this blue green. And I look up and she's got this red hair and it's like fire on her head. And in that moment, I knew who she was. It was my mom's mom, my grandma Levita, who was a huge force in life. She started one of the first female unions at a steel stamping plant in Michigan. And the mob actually tried to kill her or threatened to kill her. <laughs> really? Yeah. And so she's like, oh, I'm definitely doing it now. <laughs> so, Gotta love that woman. I remember her funeral was so packed, people couldn't get in the building. And um, I'm like, oh, my gosh, I, you know, I thought you were dead. Here you are. And I'm, you're not just here. You're really alive, like more alive than I remembered her. And and so she holds me for a while. And um, and then I suddenly just realize she's gone and I'm just kind of floating in this light. And I hear this rumbling that gets louder and louder and everything starts shaking the whole like everything that had ever been in existence, everything that is yet to be in existence was shaking. And I, my immediate thought was, oh, crap, it's God. And I tried to think like a really good thought of something good I had done because I knew he was going to be able to read my mind. And nothing, nothing. I mean, I've been a nurse for like 15, 6, 14 years at that point, And I couldn't think of one good thing. I was so nervous. And the light, he's just this incredible light. It's like looking at the sun, but it's not hot. It doesn't hurt your eyes. Your pupils don't even dilate and or constrict. And so he he gets right near me and he says, I am in this thunderous voice. And I looked at the light and I said, oh, yeah, you are. I mean, I had no idea. I'm like, I never understood the depth of what that meant and, and the power of who God is. And he said that, and I just understood it in a completely different way. This is the I am, the great I am, the I am who created, created you and everything. And, and it, the weight of it hit me for the first time. And um, so he starts, you know, sh kind of showing me scenes from my life. He only picks two. And the first one he picks is me at this grocery store. And there's this lady in front of me who doesn't have enough to pay for her groceries. So she immediately picks something that's for her. And I can tell kind of she's got a bunch of stuff for her kids. Picks the thing that's for her and is going to put it back. And she was only changed, you know, short. I said, hang on, hang on, don't put anything back. And she's like, oh, no, just totally humiliated. I said, look, I'm a single mom. I've been there. Let me help you. And so I give her the change. And I'm like, that? That's what you pick? That's the, that's the big, you know, huge good I did in life? And he's like, let me show you. And so he pans forward into this scene and she's working in this food pantry. And this lady walks in and is humiliated because she has to ask for food. And she says to the woman, it's okay, let me help you. I've been there. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I had no idea that just this little act, you know, how that could ripple forward. And so then he shows me um, this negative scene and it's this nurse that I had worked with who I just felt like was really, really lazy. Call lights would go off forever. You know, she'd leave a patient on a bedpan for an hour if the tech was too busy to get in there. And so I was always answering her call lights and stuff, but I never was rude or never said anything to her about it, but I harbored resentment for her. And I'd be, I'd be thinking things like, oh my gosh, she is so lazy. Why did she even become a nurse if she doesn't want to work? And those things were all true in my mind. And, and God said, let me show you her life. And he showed me, all the way back to when she was a little girl, when she was about four or five, when her father started raping her. And she'd had this terrible life, but still she chose to go into this helping profession. And he said, you know, thoughts have energy, words even more. 
and actions even more so. And you can't have a thought without having those things result from it, whether you realize it or not. And you make it harder for her to be a better person because she can sense that. And and I felt so bad. I thought, oh my gosh, you know, as, she's got a long way to go as a nurse, but look how far she's come as a person. And here I'm putting all this negative energy on her and making it harder for her. And it just broke my heart. And so I, you know, we I'm kind of realizing we're going to go on this journey together and it feels very vulnerable to me. And I always describe it as, you know, when I got married the first time, um, everything was where it's supposed to be <laughs> physically. And when I met Don, I was almost 40. I think I was 40. And things aren't where, you know, three kids, it just doesn't look the same anymore. But, but because man is brilliant, he's created these incredible garments that to, you wear under your clothes that'll pull the girls back up and <laughs> make them look like they salute the sun um, and, and make your butt really cute and everything. Of course, you know, I, Don would never realize that, that, you know, I would wear anything like that. He just thinks that's how you look because he's not seeing you naked, right? And I remember the first time I had to get undressed in front of him, and I'm, I'm imagining it. I have a very cartoon strip mind. And I'm thinking, man, I'm going to take that bra off. My boobs are going to hit my knees. And he's just going to yell, lies, lies. This is not what you presented to me. And that's what it felt like with God. Like I was going to be naked in front of him. And he was going to know me and know every, every thing, every little lie I'd ever told, every wrong thing I'd ever said. And it was so vulnerable, I wasn't sure I wanted to do it. And then I started thinking about, you know, the kid's dad would call um, and he would say, I'm going to send you this or, or I'm going to call or, you know, we're going to get together. And I can remember my youngest would walk out to the mailbox every day and he would check for whatever it was that was going to be sent. And it was never there. And it just broke my heart. And I said, what kind of God does that to a little boy? Why couldn't you fix that? Why couldn't you made him send that card or that gift and and he said oh dear one you've completely misunderstood me let me show you something and so he shows me this scene at the time that this all happened my grandson was two but in the scene he's five and he's playing soccer and he's all tan the sun's on his hair and he's running up and down the soccer field and i'm sitting next to my son david and he looks at me and he says this always gets me he says mom I'm going to be the dad to him that I deserved. And in that moment, I just, I looked at God and I said, oh my gosh, you're breaking the cycle with my kids. And I said, okay, you know, if we got to take one for the team so that my grandkids and my great grandkids don't go through this. Okay. That makes sense. Okay. And, and that just was so healing for me. And so then I just kind of let down my guard and the light that was him started swirling around my feet and it came up through my toes and through my feet and up through my legs and it got into my middle and like every visceral feeling I'd ever had like do you remember when you knew you were going to be in trouble when you got home for something and you had that awful dread mm -hmm. <laughs> it went in and like healed all of that um, I didn't realize it had left marks actually physically in me that um, that are always there that doesn't go away you have a cellular memory of it and so he was going in and healing that and it went around my heart and it came up through my throat and into my mouth and my tongue was glowing and I started to sing and I can't sing a lick. And it was beautiful. And I thought, oh man, if I go back, I hope I can still do that. But I didn't get that one. Anyway, <laughs> it, come, it goes up, it comes back from behind my eyes 
and it's going to shine out my eyes. And so I shut my eyes to keep it in and the light shines through my eyelids and my eyelashes and it hits the light that's outside me and bounces back in and goes up and I can feel it going through the curves in my brain. And as it's going through, I know every mystery. And, and I knew I wouldn't be able to remember it, but it was incredible in that moment. Like everything I'd ever wondered about, I knew. And um, so then we're going to take this trip and go through my DNA. And so it's like he's holding my hand, but I can't see his hand. Um, and we start going through these strands of DNA and I can feel it stroking over my skin like you would, you know, do that to somebody that you love. And we're flying through there and then we stop like we hit a wall and he says do you see that and i said yeah and he said do you see me and i'm like well yeah you're everywhere i mean how would i not see you and he's pointing at this part of my dna this this junk dna is what it's called um on this side anyway and he said that's me that's me i'm in you he said just like your father is in you you can deny your father but we can test this and we will know who your father is. I'm in here, I'm in you. And I remember being blown away because I thought he was this, and that doesn't mean you're God. I was very clear that I wasn't God, but he knit you together in your mother's womb. So of course there's a mark of him on your genetic code. And I just was blown away by that. I thought here I've spent the, my life chasing you or running from you and you were right in here all along. And um, so I knew at that point I had to decide whether I was going to stay or go back. And and I immediately said I was going to stay. I'm like, nope, I'm staying. And it just, it felt like a lie in my mouth as soon as I said it. Like like a decision I'd made long ago or something and knew it wasn't right. And And so I knew I had to go back because I had not lived. I hadn't done what I'd gone to do. I had hid from life. I hadn't developed relationships, not meaningful ones. I mean, people liked me and I had friends, but I wasn't letting anybody in. And and I just had squandered the gift. And I thought, I can't do that. I have to go back. And so as soon as I make the decision, I start pulling back from him and I start crying because he's getting further and further away. And I'm like, wait, 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 don't go yet. And he stops. And I said, let me remember this, because if I don't remember it, I feel I'll have no hope. And so I wake up, I'm in the ICU, the nurse is there, and I'm in a, I'm in a, a I think I was in Baptist. Um, so I'm in a faith-based hospital. And I look at the lady and I say, I was with God. And she says, <laughs> she pats my hand. She's like, oh, that's nice, dear. And I'm like, no, I mean, just now, just a minute, I, I was with God just now. And she's like, okay, well, let me go get your family. So they come in a little bit at a time. My sister walks in and I said, I saw what you wrote on Facebook. Hang on, kiddo, I'm coming. And I had also seen, this is super condensed, of course, I'd also seen when I was on the other side, her sitting in the ICU waiting room, and I'd never been in that waiting room, with my son. And they were two seats over from the corner, right next to where the bathrooms were. And she had a purse between them in the seats. And she pulled out a blue tissue and... And I remember thinking, wow, where do you get blue tissue? I've never, like, that's the profound thought I have. Never seen blue tissue before. That's incredible. <laughs> I wonder if I could find those. And so I tell her all of that, and she is totally freaked out by it. And I tell the whole family. And so the nurse is like, okay, you're getting excited. Let's get everybody out of here. So she runs them out. She finally pulls the curtains because you're in this windowed room. She pulls the curtains, turns the light off so I can rest. And God pops back into the room. 
Well, he didn't give me like a warning or anything. He's just suddenly there. It scared the crap out of me. So I yell and he starts laughing and I'm like, oh my gosh, I thought you were gone. He's like, what do you mean? I'm never gone. I'm like, I know, but you don't just pop in rooms like that. You scared the crap out of me. And he said, I have a, a message for you to give to the world. And and he just starts saying it like, I'm going to remember this. And, and I'm like, I don't have a pen. I can't write this down. And the next day, the lady brought me a pen and I wrote it down verbatim. And I didn't share it with a soul because it was the most beautiful love letter I'd ever read in my life. And I wanted it for myself. I'm like, I never had a love letter. I never gotten flowers, nothing like that. And can't this be the one thing I keep for myself? I'm a single mom. Everything I do is for someone else. I just want this. And so for years and years, I didn't share it. I should pull it up so I can share it with you. Um, but um, then finally, God said to me, I was doing a talk and God impressed upon me. He's like, I gave you that to share with the world. And for you to keep it to yourself is theft. And I thought, oh, oh crap. Getting scolded <laughs> by God now, Penny. Right, right. Admonish. You know, I'm like, oh, all right, fine, I'll share it. And that's where... You know, I came back, I had, so what was wrong with me is I had had this weird mast cell activation disorder. We think triggered the the bone glue or the cadaver bone. I can't remember which they used when they did my neck surgery. Um, we think it was some sort of autoimmune thing that kicked in. And so they had told me, general, they didn't figure it out till, the, so I had 18 episodes of this. I would go into anaphylaxis. We would have just enough time to get to the hospital, get put on the ventilator. I'd be in a coma on the ventilator four or five days. They'd take me off. I'd go home. And that happened 18 times in two and a half years. So you spent eight, uh, a cumulative 18 weeks in a coma? No. Uh, yeah. Well, not to full weeks. Oh, well, like, you know, five, like work yeah, weeks. Yeah. 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 Basically in two and a half years. Yeah. Not that one time over two and a half years. And um, so the last time, I went in and it happened. I actually went back and was with God again. And I was mad at him. And I said, look, this is ridiculous. Either heal me or take me because I can't do this anymore. This is killing my family. And, you know, the doctors were trying to talk me into a trach. I had, you know, was considering making myself uh, do not resuscitate. And um, he says, it's not me. It's you. And I'm like, what do you mean? It's me. You're God. Fix it. And he said, Penny, you said you wanted to go back. You said you wanted to live. You really wanted to live. But every time I put something in your path, someone for you to love, someone or an opportunity for you, you say no, say yes. And I was so offended. I'm like, okay, so you're telling me that if I go back and I say yes, this is going to stop. And he's like, yeah. And I thought, okay, well, that sounds ridiculous, but I'll try it because he's God. So I come back and my friend Brian, um, who lost his 14-year-old daughter, she just died in her sleep, um, had asked me over and over again to come and speak to their IANS. IANS is the International Association for Near-Death Studies. They have a group in Cincinnati, which is about 90 minutes from here. And he'd asked me several times to speak to that group. And I would always make up an excuse, lie, whatever I had to do, because I had such social anxiety. And so he messaged me and he said, hey, you know, how are you doing? I saw you were in the hospital again. And I said, better. And he started with his request to ask me if I would. And before he could even get it out of his mouth, I said, yes. And he said, what? I said, just stop talking to me now, because if we keep going, I'm going to think of an excuse to say no. And so that was my Brian Smith was my first. Yes. I went up and I did that talk and I have never had another episode since. I do every talk people ask me to do. I mean, unless they're like 
crazy or something. But um, I generally do not turn down an opportunity to share the story. And have you read Have you read your your letter on air before? Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm gonna find it here for you. Um, yeah, it's. I get a lot of requests for it. People are like, "Could you put that on a plaque and sell that?" And I'm like, "Oh, that feels icky." Um, but you know, people want that in their house, and I can't do it for free, of course. Um, hold on, message. Really? You waking um, up in the hospital is kind of like the end of The Wizard of Oz. Waking up in the hospital after, you would think you'd be super rested because you'd been in a coma. No, you feel like you've been hit by a truck. And I, the first time I went in, um, I was in a coma during my dad's birthday. And I woke up and my dad was sitting there and I kept asking him what the date was. I couldn't remember what the date was. And um, he kept saying whatever the date was, it was past his birthday. And I said, oh my gosh, I missed your birthday. And he's holding my hand, and and I he said, "No, you didn't. I was right here with you." Uh, and I'm like, "Oh gosh, I love you so much," you know. You know, um, Penny, when when you uh, I know you're looking for the, the letter right now. It's okay, but I can yeah, I can. When talk. you when you wake up from this, I, I mean, it's been s several times after that first incident, that big revelation. Uh, life obviously is very very frustrating, and uh, we all have these these semi quasi divine moments in our lives. My wedding day was a day that I, I really felt I spent one, I had one foot on earth, one foot in heaven. And I remember that day saying, I have got to bottle this feeling up and I've got to bring it with me. And yeah. I've got to, I got to weave this into everything I do. Yes. And I got to keep this going. But the farther you get away from that day, the more earth yeah. reclaims you and it's just so hard. I mean, you 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 saw the face of God, and but still, you had to come back and live in this hellhole. Yeah. How, how do you? Uh, how has life been afterwards since then? Uh, consistently, are are you able to have a little bit more luck in reminding yourself of what kind of revelation you had, and does that balance things out for you, or or is it still as big of a struggle for you as anybody else? No, it's not as big of a struggle because I know I know that that's really real. You know, God is really real. There's no question in my mind now. And so that helps. And I know how fast this goes. And so I kind of have this sense of urgency. So when COVID hit, um, I had already retired because I couldn't work anymore. And I would, I got COVID March 12th, just before the lockdown. And I got that first round of COVID and it almost killed me. It was 53 days. Um, and I live, I had, I'd never podcasted or live streamed and I thought to myself, Penny, most of the country has not had this. You're a nurse with it who's had multiple respiratory failures. Um, you have a perspective people need to hear because it's going to be coming their way. And so every day, I think all but four days, I got on and did a live stream on Facebook and had thousands and thousands of people watching. And and I was reading everything I could read. And I mean, I was sick. I, was, I had pneumonia in both lungs, heart inflammation. I had... Um, liver and kidney damage, I got shingles, I had bed sores, I had 15 pounds of muscle loss, um, my hair fell out, I mean, I was, it was bad, I just was like, I'm gonna die, and if I'm gonna die, I'm gonna do some good on the way out. And so I just taught everything I could, and so I recovered right around Easter, and by the beginning of summer, I had an over-the-counter protocol. And because there were the hydroxychloroquine protocols, but states were blocking it. 
and uh, and these doctors were making them and i was in that think tank with them which apparently tracy was in too which is kind of funny and they were pushing this protocol but it might take you two weeks to get into the um telemed because they were so busy and then it might take another two weeks to well it was too late by then i mean with delta you had about four days before it all went to crap and i thought there's got to be nutraceuticals over-the-counter things that we could use that would fit the same purpose and i remember thanking god for giving it to me because when i had it i knew what respiratory failure felt like and i knew what mast cell disorder felt like and i remember telling everybody this is like mast cell and uh, malaria had a love child i know how to treat this because i know what this is and so i was the first one and it was so funny i would tease people that i was a time traveler because when i made that mast cell discovery in my own mind um within about a month studies started coming out about the mast cells being related which of course they are because they're involved in inflammation and and so i thought okay well we i know how to treat that you know we use quercetin and and high doses of vitamin c and we um, adopted a nebulizer program from Dr. Brownstein that I had read about. And we would t give five milliliters of saline with a drop of peroxide in it and a drop of Lugol's iodine. And if I could use nothing else for COVID, pneumonia, flu, that is what I would use because it was life-changing for people. People would have SATs in the 70s and they would use that nebulizer treatment and they would be vacuuming after. It was crazy. And so I think we're at... 1742 or 1472 yeah i think that's the number of patients that i'm at um, over 80 percent were very high risk um, we did not have one hospitalization no deaths and we don't have any long COVID in the group i uh i have one more question i want to i have a few questions but i want to ask at least one more big one before uh you know the 9 30 mark rolls around in case tracy keeps going and i have to take off sure but um you were talking about the link between God and DNA. I've done a lot of reading on that. And that that's a that's a conversation that crosses many different cultural and tribal barriers. Really? And I, I it's where it's commonly held, it is different as culture is applied. Um and it, so I wanted to add do you hear this? I'm sorry, it's all the uh the, the banging upstairs. I can't hear it's it. Okay. I can't you cannot? It. No. It's very loud. Damn, okay. Uh so this revelation for you was a really great Christian revelation, I'd have to imagine, because that's what it, it sounds like to me. My question to you is, why do you think others will have out-of-body experiences or near-death experiences, and it uh, and and they're a little bit more religiously or spiritually amb ambiguous? Yeah, or neutral, kind of. Yeah. yeah. I think um, I think a lot of it is who you are as a person when it happens to you. Um, you know, you have a culture. We're all influenced by our culture. What's interesting about it is, though, there are themes that transcend all culture and all religion. And so you go through um, Ender, the Near-Death Experience Research Foundation. They have done a ton of, like, really good clinical research on this. And, you know, they're just these common themes, the light, um, the, uh, the sense of forgiveness and acceptance and um, avoid. And, and so no matter what, those themes hold across ev every religion. Um, and, you know, people will say to me, well, you didn't really have a near-death experience because you didn't see Jesus. And I, I remind people, first of all, a near-death experience isn't a death experience. You know, God knows you're going back and there's work to do and things to learn because you're going back. I imagine if you were going to stay, it would probably be different. 
Um, and the other thing is, um, oh, I lost my train of thought. Um, I, I, I can't remember. Oh, um, why I didn't see Jesus. And, and I, I, I think it's kind of, it's, it's a cute misunderstanding that people have. And I said, oh, you don't understand what the Trinity is. The Trinity isn't, isn't three. The Trinity is three in one. And so when you get on that side, they're not separate. Now, they could appear as separate and manifest as separate, and they do for different people. God is very, you know, tailors himself to what will speak to, the, to a particular individual, because you have to be able to speak to that particular individual. And so I just saw one light. I didn't see a face. I, there was at one point where I felt a hand, but that was that. Um, and I, I said, tell people, it's like if you come to my door, it's not it's not Frank's body, Frank's spirit, and Frank's mind. You're all together. You're not fragmented like that. And so I think that kind of helps people understand. But where I don't, I don't listen to other people's near-death experiences because I don't want to pollute mine, and I don't mean pollute in a bad way, like cloud it, because um, it's easy to – It, I'm still remembering things, and so I don't want to cloud that. And um, it is I, – I do know that there are common themes because I've talked to people at IANS, and you know they've not had near-death experiences, but they study them. Hmm. So I hope that answers that. I do have this message. I want to read this before you go. Yeah. So you get to hear it too. Um, so this is God speaking to me, such or to us, such folly to think anything escapes my knowing, as when you were here with me all at once, all that I allowed you to know you knew. No words were spoken, nor were they shouted. I whispered them to your spirit. I discreetly filled you with knowing. Knowing flowed into you as effortly as taking a breath. Is it not so? The great I am, no truer words have ever been spoken or written. The great I am is in your core. The great I am is the light. Even when I am hidden, still I am. As my energy charged, sending me over each synapse in your brain, even those small fibers knew that I am. They rose and fell to the rhythm I created, to the symphony I conducted, I composed. I consider it a tragic comedy of arrogance, when man denies what the smallest innervation knows. Man thinks he acts and moves outside my knowledge. How could it be so? I say, I proclaim he does not. His own fibers clutch themselves laughing at the idea. I am the flower, the wind, the rain, the sinew, the marrow, the rock, the author, the maker, the touch that set in motion all that you see, all that you know, and all that you do not see or know. I knit you. I put breath in you. I'm coated in every cell. Every nanosecond of time falls in step as I will it so. I am in you. I am in you. I am all. Even when you perceive nothing, still I am there. As I tell you this here and now, pressing my truth into your breast, your very heart presses it further in. That's that. I, so I, uh, I, I, that's beautiful. I have one more question. Just okay. about consciousness in general, because this is all it all links together. Yeah. Um, most people will think, uh, you know, uh, just most people will assume that our brain, our physical our the organ is our hard drive. Yeah. And yeah. here you are talking about your experience, which obviously there's a consciousness and there is a mem very vivid memory that is held outside, outside. of the, the physical hard drive that is our earthly bodies here. 
So uh, I, I, I just think that's um, that is a a great mystery in itself. You know, it's where... kind of like a radio. You know, it, when you have a radio, those singers aren't in your radio. Um, your radio has a frequency, and because of that frequency, you're able to hear music. Mm. Um, your brain is much like that. You you um, it's an electrically conductive thing. A lot of people don't realize that, and it has a frequency. I mean, you can actually measure electrical impulse through the body, and and so that frequency that your brain picks up is your consciousness it's it definitely um endures when when the body is cast away mm, that's that's incredible I, well penny i would love to i love to have you tell this story on my show maybe a couple of months down the road like sure. maybe near september october let this episode aerate a little bit I, it's a, it really is uh, very fascinating and very uplifting it's a i'm good sorry for dominating this so much uh tracy i just didn't want to miss out on on leaving a few uh nuggets it is a breath of fresh air for you to ask questions in an interview i am loving every second of it yeah. seriously he's internalizing anything norm everything normally <laughs> i i wasn't expecting to speak very much today anyway so i'm good well there you go <laughs> no, this um, is very wonderful especially on a friday yeah. especially on a friday I, I it's so much better than listening to uh, town hall clips right we could have to be doing that together. It does get exhausting, doesn't it? I, you know, where I podcast, I have to keep up with all the news and stuff. And, and I always tell people, walk away from it. Take a break. If there's something, if there's something life-changing happening, I'll tell you. But you cannot spend your whole life watching this like we do because it takes a real toll on you if you're not careful. And I think it is, I think it's really lowering the, the, the vibration of this country, you know, the world because we've just had fear shoved down our throat and and now everything that's going that they're doing is so open and so obvious and that's so insulting to people that that there's not even enough consideration to hide it from us and and a lot of people have just given up you know they're like well that's going to go to court but it's going to be a crappy judge and he's not going to do anything about it and and so what's the point and it can get very hopeless and and I always tell people you know your happiness is directly related to the amount of television that you watch and the, the amount of, you know, information you take in and, you know, go outside. I would see people walking on treadmills and I'm like, what are you doing? You know, you know, God didn't have to make the world colorful. That was just an added perk. He could have manifested some other way for animals to be attracted to each other, but this could have all been black and white. And the fact that it's colorful and that you can hear the birds singing and, um, that's his love story to you every time you walk out your door and and I'll see people like walking down the street or running and they've got their headphones in and and I'm like you're missing the love that's all around you that is on such bright um and fantastic display because you stay in your head and and you don't you you lack the experience of what that's like like if we have I sent Tracy a video this morning of the birds singing at about 5 30 they get super loud because there's a mist in the, there's moisture in the air and their song carries further, which helps with mating rituals and things. And so they're crazy loud. Well, if you really listen, you can hear the birds that are obvious, but you can focus and you can listen down through the layers and you can start hearing the quieter birds and the birds that are making different sounds and the birds that are answering each other. And, but if you've got headphones in or you're, you know, you're, got your phone in your face you you can't do it you can't hear it and you become detached from you know nature and the physical the physical reality of it and how it's healing to us 
and I just I always feel for people. I'm like, you have to, you have to get outside. You you know, do what you have to, but get out there and be out there. Don't just, you know, be moving from one place to another and you happen to go outside. Spend intentional time outside. So we we have to. I mean, I'm I'm of the firm belief oh, yeah. we have to do something about this right now, right? We can't just let these things happen. There's a spiritual battle going on right now of good and yes. evil, and I wrestle with with wrapping my head around that. Like, yeah, I'm supposed to go outside and and do all the things you said, and yes, I I do value that and understand the value of that. But at the same time, why? Like, how are we supposed to? win this what are we supposed to do and why is it just so nasty like why well because there's it's duality you know there's light and there's darkness and darkness um darkness is is, has an ego you know it wants to take over it wants to um you know it wants to push out the light and we have to we have to be the light bearers and i always tell people um i've really gotten on the whole issue about church and i'm like you go to church a lot of times and it's no different than the world and it's supposed to do, be different it's supposed to be sacred and and so you you know you go to this place out of obligation on a sunday if that's the kind of church that you're in and by the time you get home you've forgotten even what was said and it's it's you know if that's your situation you're in the wrong church you need to be or you need to help improve that um because that's that fellowship of believers is what gives you strength for the week. If you're trying to just do it by yourself, it gets very tiring and very burdensome and extremely lonely and isolating. And you've got to pour back in because if you don't, you know, so like on my YouTube channel, which I don't push much because I have very um, bad feelings about YouTube, but I have a, like a playlist of songs that I listen to when I'm struggling. And, and you, you've got to have that. You have to have something that is feeding your spirit or you're going to get dry and then you're doing everything out of your own power instead of doing things out of the power of God that is in you. And yes, we're supposed to be fighting. And and I always tell people, if you don't know what you're supposed to be doing, it's probably right in front of you. It might just be that there's an elderly lady down the street who has trouble getting her trash can back to the house. That can be you. You could be that person. That makes a difference. God showed me change I gave a woman. And you do one little thing like that, and pretty soon you're doing a couple little things like that, and you're making changes in your community. Not everybody is a public speaker or a podcaster. If you don't know what to do, financially and prayerfully support the people that you think do, because without them, it's not going to get done. Um, and and people, you know, people say to me, "Well, I had some guy at a, um, he identified himself as a shaman." at one of the talks I did, and he was complaining that one of the authors that came to speak to their group, um, they had to pay a fee to hear that author, and they, he just thought that was terrible because it should be free. And it just struck me, and I'm like, you mean it should be free to you? And he's like, well, what? And I said, you mean it should be free to you? Everything costs somebody something. And I'm like, this guy travels down here, he takes his time, he he has to make overnight arrangements, he has to eat meals. So you don't want it to be free. You just want it to be free to you. Mm-hmm. And I think you should consider that. Oh, so, that's oh, good. Man. Like and, that? Yeah, oh, <laughs> that? That that rings a bell for anybody who yeah. goes out there and and uh and really has uh taken on the mantle of some kind of independent yeah. production. 
I mean, you know, one time or another, everybody <laughs> gets called a grifter because sure. they just want to be able to pay their bills. Pay their bills, yeah. I'm like, you know, you eat. You don't go to work and expect to do that without being paid. Um, you go to church, you tithe. Um, it, you know, you you donate money to other things. And, and if you're not careful and you don't support um, this new media, this citizen journalism, um, and you know it can be whatever you want if you're if you're on this alternative media and there's somebody that you're getting a lot out of support that person I always tell people you know I, I think I've got 1600 subscribers I'm like if all of you gave a dollar a month it would more than cover my production costs right now I'm eating all of that and so are a lot of other people how long do you think they're going to pay the bill to bring you information how long do you think that's going to go where they're where they're bearing the total burden of it and it doesn't have to be hard for anybody because if everybody gave a little it would totally be doable and so i really encourage people if you don't know what to do you are adding value to the world by supporting people who do you are bringing mess the message to other people and it doesn't have to be painful financially if everybody helps a little bit so you all <laughs> that's my mom my mom moment for today Again, I don't really have to say anything. I just, I, I, my, um, I think what I want to do, Penny, is wrap a little bit now, and um, I want to bring you back to do a whole COVID standalone. Yeah. Because I called Frank. If you need to go, it's okay. I'm gonna just finish. Are you all right? I'm just very, very sore. I had a, I had a bastard of a workout yesterday. It's a good sore. No, it's a good, it's, it's good, but I'll be feeling this until Monday you, at least. You look like it's really bugging you, buddy. <laughs> those those Hindu push-ups alone will just destroy your entire body. There was I, one one you're show. Your moves. <laughs> there was one show where Frank did a a plank. Was it a plank? Uh, it was horse stance. Horse stance for half the show. No chair. I I, I mean I would people don't want to. I mean people say no, I don't see that. I I would have done it today. It's spent a lot of time in horse stance yesterday. Actually. Just, you know you can walk erect, right? Yes, I know, I know. <laughs> but it, it, just holding those static stances are, are very are, are very good for. Oh yeah, I imagine you were shaking. No. After a while, yeah, especially around the fifteen minute mark, you start really oh, feeling like it. Fifteen minutes. I would. I we always go through this. I, oh. See, I would say, gosh, I'm so close to the floor. I should just lay down. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I know. So. um I forgot what I was going to say. Oh, um, oh, so the day. Well, yeah, I want to do the standalone about that. But I want to this is too this is too positive and uplifting to go into that yeah. story right now. Yeah, so um, the day that I I got off the show, I listened to Penny's story. I needed to speak with her. We got on the phone and I, I don't use the phone, neither does Penny. Um, no, hate talking on the phone. Yeah, hate it. It's t it's just not something that I like to do. Anybody who knows me can tell you that. And I said, it actually gives me anxiety. Does it give you anxiety? It doesn't give me anxiety. It's just, it's just not my thing. Yeah, you know, there's it takes so much longer. It does, and there's no ending it. And then somebody could go on and on, and you don't want to be rude, and you're busy, and I'm just <laughs> I. I end up being the person who's on the phone for hours and hours and hours yeah. because I won't say I have to go. But that was different. We got on the phone that day and I said to her, Penny, Penny, I literally feel like I've known you my entire life. Yeah. I, I don't know why. It was very weird. We talked for almost three hours 
And I looked down at my phone. I'm like, my kids came home, they were all doing their thing, and I'm just pacing around the house. I sat outside, we're talking, 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 talking. And ever since then, um, me and Penny are like are like peas in a pod. It's funny, I said to you, I said, oh, God, I had been praying. I'm like, God, please send me a friend that will that is doing the same kind of thing that I'm doing, who understands how hard this is, that will walk through life with me. And that will be an encouragement to me and you know because so many people just take 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 and and we forget to bring people into our lives that are givers and and so i had been praying for that and i i had gotten so depressed about it just in the last month just before we met i said to don i said is there any joy left to be had in life and it just broke his heart he's like oh sweetheart of course you know we're gonna go camping and then he he missed what i was saying i kind of meant spiritually that i was feeling really empty and and so when I when I was talking to you, I said, "Oh my goodness, my spirit missed you. It's known you forever." <laughs> do you good. guys live? Do you guys live close enough to each other to be like you know coffee talk buddies? No, oh, no, I'm in Kentucky. Uh, no, but well, but I mean, well, that's not terrible far though. Yeah, not too bad. It, it was something. It really has been something, and we have we have like I mean a lot of things have happened since i have it's almost like there was a piece missing and all of a sudden it's not anymore it's hard to explain and it sounds crazy but that's exactly what it feels like and you know you see these stories of of people's experiences like this and stuff online but like penny's like one of us guys yeah <laughs> it's very weird like usually those people are like somewhere else not involved in this fight that we're having so yeah it's just very been woo woo and you know uh crystals and all kinds of just kind of, I don't know, new age sort of stuff. And they kind of they kind of detach themselves from reality quite a bit and just want to live in, we call in the near-death experience community, we call it the pink bubble. And you're in the pink bubble for a while when you're first trying to sort through it. Um, I, I mean, I was suicidal. I wanted, I was, I've never been so homesick for a place in my life as I was for heaven. And, you know, you can't be in the arms of God with all of that love and then come back and not and not be homesick for your dad. It's just really, really hard. And nobody understood. Everybody thought it was crazy. Don thought it was crazy. He's the kid of two Methodist pastors. And he's and I was really like exploring my faith and my religion and looking at other religions. I just I was voracious for knowledge about what do other people believe and will it explain what I went through and um and he came home one day and he said, you know what? I'm just worried I'm going to come home one day and you're going to have shaved your head and become a Buddhist monk. <laughs> or, like, I, or, or like when uh, in the Golden Girls, when Sophia uh, had her near-death experience and she threw herself off the top of the roof. Oh, and I got to watch she, that one. <laughs> she wanted to go back. <laughs> she wanted to go back. Yeah. yeah it's, that was funny. Well, I said to him, I, you know, he said, you know, that you're going to be a Buddhist monk. And I said, um, would you love me less? And I said, gosh, Don. I would hate to think that my coming into the presence of the living God would not be the one thing that split us up. Hmm. And 70% of people who have a near-death experience end up divorced because it's just too much for the spouse because you are weird for the first year. Like I could feel trees loving me. I could see light coming off things. It was crazy. I thought I was going nuts. And then I found a near-death experience community on Facebook. And that saved my life. Well, you know, think about think about uh, I, my daughter just uh, had a little virus on on 
to Monday, Tuesday. I, I forget. She woke up. We knew she was sick. She had a very low fever, snotty nose, all that, weepy, sleeping all over the place. And 36 later, 36 hours later, she's like 75% improved. Yeah. And you can tell she knew she was sick and she can see she's getting better. And she had a new lease on life. And, and anybody in this audience who has been just so dog sick that the first day that they wake up and they take that satiating breath and they know the worst is behind them, they feel like they've literally been born again. Oh, yeah. So to, to, have, to have gone to where you went yeah. and come back, I, I would feel like the trees were hugging me, too, because, I mean, just getting over a cold is like yeah. a revelation. You know, You're kind of torn because this place sucks, yeah. but it's beautiful and God loves go. you in it. And it's a very it's a very conflicting thing. You know, you're like, wow, this place is so messed up. Like, if you want to throw a ball to me here, we got to go find a ball. You have to find me. Say, hey, do you want to throw a ball? And we have to throw the ball. I have to wait for you to throw it. I have to catch it. If I want to throw a ball in. And on the spiritual realm, the ball's in my hand and it's thrown. Um, you And you can thought create. You can think flowers and flowers will spring up. And um, and I remember coming back here thinking, oh, my gosh, it's so much work to do anything here. And I, there's mass. What is with this mass I'm carrying around? I was so much heavier. And, um, it, you know, everything was just grunt work. Penny, you know, did, you, did, you, did you did you read? Are you part of uh, uh, any of my book clubs? Um, no, I'm. I have my book club. We're doing Jonathan Kahn's Return of the Gods. Oh, I, I'm. At, oh, I just that just came in the mail uh, two days ago. I was. I'm <laughs> it's gonna, great. But you you've got to read. Um, we did this in January. Uh, C.S. Lewis is the Great Divorce. Oh, well, okay. I, I saw somebody in the chat room said, Frank, this sounds like when we did Great Divorce. I think that you would get, I think it would be really, uh, I think you'd really like it. Yeah, I'm a big reader. I'll absolutely do that. The Great Divorce. The do great that. Divorce. One of the last things that I want to talk about real quick before we go um, is the whole component. Like we said, woo woo. You said it's kind of like the spirituality, new age stuff. But I'll tell you, I think one of the things that's missing for a lot of people is like that new age community is looked upon by many who are very religious as evil but they don't understand the tenants that are there in that community can be like woven back like you've done basically the energy component the vibration component the you know the all of that is what resonated with me about your story because that stuff i experience every single day and know to be true and no one else has ever 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 affirmed that before the way that you did actually makes that's what actually makes the the walk of faith alive. There is this magical energy in it. And I mean magic in the purest sense of the word. Um, it, you know, when I say woo-woo, I mean people who are like completely detached from the real world. And, and you know, it, they're, they're like, you know, Hitler was, a, was um, one of God's children. And he was actually doing what he was supposed to do here on the earth. And, and he's in the same place as everybody else when they die, you know. Um, he was just playing a role and, and that's crazy. Um, that, that was evil. You know, he killed people that there is, there's, there are consequences for everything in life. That's the natural order of things. And so you'll get a, that's what I mean when I say woo, mm. there is absolutely spiritual energy. Um, and it's so funny because people don't even realize that the scribes who, who wrote, um, the old Testament, these were Jewish mystics. Um, you know, they, they 
very much believed and knew that the Spirit of God was coming over them and that they were writing, they were scribing for God. They weren't writing history that they remembered, that it was this inspired word of God that was being energetically given to them from the Creator himself. And it took a long time, you know, people were like, oh, it's been copied over and over again. No, 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 not that, not that original text, that Old Testament Torah has not been, yes, it's been printed over and over again, but those people wrote that once and that's where it comes from. And I have a, I have, I love this Bible. It's a, it's, um, so Jonathan Kahn helps promote this uh, Tree of Life version of the Bible and it's a Messianic Jewish family Bible. And what I like about it is so messianic jews um, believe that christ is the savior um but what i like about it is that when the like if you look at a king james version uh it got translated from i think hebrew or aramaic into greek and the greek translation is not at all the jewish language has very um like they have you know multiple different words for love we'll say oh i love pizza and i love frank and tracy and it's there's no distinction, you know, in the in the original texts of the Bible, well, in the Old Testament, there's eros, which is erotic love, and you have, you know, love that is friendship, and, and there's different names for it, so it makes a lot more sense. Mm. So what they did was they took it out of that Greek translation, and they went back, and they translated it into English as the words are actually meant in the original tongue, and so it is a com- it feels completely different when you read it. And um, why was I telling you that? Um, oh, this, this, these Jewish mystics that wrote the Bible. And, and they were considered very strange. They lived off by themselves. Um, you know, they had washing rituals they had to do before they would write the word. Um, they knew that the Spirit of God was, was landing on them, and they were writing this. And so I think the fact that we've so homogenized faith um, and that a lot of people equate think faith is solely attached to religion um i think that that throws a lot of people because a lot of people have really been hurt in church myself included mm-hmm. and so what happens is those people that get church hurt i know so many atheists i don't know one atheist who um isn't an atheist because of something that happened to them in church it's always something it's some um, it, you know it, so as a church you have to be really careful because people are tying what you do to God, and they they then feel wronged by God if you wrong them. We have a very high calling to to be compassionate and loving and understanding. And you know you don't have to accept um, p- things that people are doing that are harmful, but you do need to understand that that is a dark spiritual force that has come on their life, and and it is on us to be the light to that person and tell hard truths and. You know, this idea that you can't say anything that upsets someone, it, it's its foolish. It's, you know, if your child is running toward the road, you don't yell, oh, look at you, you're running so fast, you know, you're so big and strong, you're getting to the road quicker than I can get to you, go, baby. No, and that's what we do in this society now, it's insane. I'm like, no, no, <laughs> you snatch up your child and you scold them, don't you ever run toward that road again. You could have been killed. My, my oldest son was so bad for running to the road. Um, and tearing out of your grip um, that we got a watermelon and we ran it over to show him what would happen. Mm. And that's finally what stopped him. And so this idea that you can't call out what is obviously darkness, what is obviously destructive, is 
absolutely insane. And I'm amazed that people of faith have brought, have bought into that. You yeah. know, you are made perfect. If you want to have gender affirming care, that would affirm the body that you're in. It, something that is affirming doesn't require you to start cutting things off yourself. Mm -hmm. um, if it is affirming to who you are, it helps bring you into alignment with with the, the way you were created. And I'm always shocked that they're like, well, I was born in the wrong body. And I'll say, well, do you believe in God? No. Well, how could there have been any intent for where you were born then? Mm. How could you be born in the wrong body? You're saying that there's no there's no intelligence behind where you're going. That's impossible. Which is the whole point. Right. It was the whole point of the PSYOP, because this is this is only a ba this is only base programming to get people to detach themselves further from not only their spiritual home, but also their earthly home, their yeah. body, because the next phase is all about how humanity is going to be. Um, I would say modified yeah. through cybernetics and yeah. the Internet of Things and and many, many more. It's a it's. You're, you're right. It, this is all base level stuff. Well, uh, and for all their liberation, they're not happy. Oh, yes. And it's not liberation. And they it, think it is. And they think it is, but it's it's the worst kind of slavery you it could is. have ever imagined. Ever. Bondage. Total Bye, bondage. Frank. I'll do the clothes with Penny. Do the You guys enjoy yourself. Stretch your legs. Have a good time. <laughs> and I'll, I know uh, we both we both podcast in our underwear from the waist down. So we're good. Oh, oh yeah. No, I, ne I never have pants on. One of the slogans for Our Frank's show is, is take off your pants. Just I know, nobody knows as long as you don't have to stand up to get something. I always remember that. I mean, I actually have shorts on. I'm not. I, I think that even though they're all back in their broadcast studios, nobody at the network still have pants on. <laughs> I believe we, that. From what we know, from what we know about what they keep uh, locked away in all of their uh, their desks. Well, you got that guy. What is he from MSNBC? Uh, Tubin. You know, oh, yeah. you know, he's naked from the waist down. Or, or what about Matt Lauer? <laughs> Matt, Matt Lauer had like one of those uh, Dr. Evil buttons under his, his office, under his desk to lock people in. So, all and, right. Anyway, people thought he was a sex symbol. I'm like, why you got to lock your door? I think you could get women. I, you know, I know just a little, you know, little persuasion goes a long way. I all right, guess. ladies. Penny, thank you so much for the company today. I'll see you guys soon. Bye. Right. Thanks, Frank. Bye bye. So, Penny, before we end the show, just um, can you please share with everyone what you're doing, where they can find you and how they can connect with you? I want everybody to 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 go in and subscribe to Penny. So um, I have a channel on Rumble called Nurse Penny. I'll show it on screen. You can find me super easy. Just Nurse Penny. And we do a Friday night live stream um, from 830 till about 1130 um, where we talk about current events and and how do we handle those from. The perspective of faith and um you know as spiritual people and then on tuesday mornings at 10 30 this is all eastern at 10 30 on tuesday mornings we do a book club we're covering jonathan khan's the return of the gods i always tell people if you don't have the book um don't sweat it because i read and then we discuss and it's it has been profoundly impactful i'm i'm i was amazed that it went to the same numbers as my friday night live stream within two shows it's it's really good and and the chat is wonderful i have the most incredible chat and and i'm big on chat i go into other people's chats and try to build community um because because that's so lost now you know you don't just go and get together with the people down the street and it, you know we just have gotten so detached and i think that's why people are so hungry in the chat and they they remember each other and welcome each other back and i just always thought that was so sweet and so um 
And so I just make it a habit. If I watch your channel, I go in and participate in your chat to kind of help you build community there. So yeah, come hang out in our chat. They're an incredible group of people. Funny, so funny. Yeah, it's good stuff. And then you have a website, which I have. Everything is in the description box right now. Mm-hmm. Um, yep, and you can get my email. My you can subscribe to my Substack via my um, via my web page. I'm not doing much with the Substack, but sending out you know notifications that a video is coming or whatever. Um, but I'm going to start writing there. So that's that's going to be something that grows. It's just it's kind of been secondary since COVID has slowed down, and I didn't need to put out a bunch of written material. So um, I am honored to have you in my life. And now everyone else shares that honor with me in my chat. And um, this, obviously, I'll talk to you later. But um, you you have been listening to the Dark to Light podcast with uh, Frank, who's gone, and Beans. You can hear us every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at 8.30 a.m. Eastern time on, uh, well, I did this backwards, on Rumble Getter or... Um, or Twitter, and you can listen to the audio version of the podcast Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at 2.30 p.m. Eastern Time on TuneIn, Stitcher, Apple iTunes, Google Podcast, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and on RadioInfluence.com. We'll be back on Monday. And um, Nurse Penny, thanks for being here with us. Thank you for having me. Talk to you guys soon.